Boomer in the Morning is on right now. Sportsnet 960 The Fan, Calgary. Hour two of the show, we get into it. Boomer along with Pinder here in the downtown studios. Bob Stoffer with Oilers Radio will join us. A wild game one, much like a round ago against the Flames. Oilers this time on the wrong end of an 8-6 score. This time against Colorado Avalanche. Game two coming up in a couple days. Eastern Conference final goes tonight. And tomorrow. Is it? We're back, back, back into the chaos tomorrow. It's good. It's all good. Last night, the uh, Toronto Blue Jays hanging on, finding a way to their sixth win in a row. They beat Chicago, the White Sox, by a score of 6-5. to five. And our next guest was uh, was at the controls. Uh, ben Wagner joins us. Uh, kind of like I feel, look at the hockey game, Colorado scores eight, and it was kind of a weird, a bit of a nail-biter. They had the one-goal lead, needed an empty netter to win. The Jays put up six. And uh, it was still kind of tight down the stretch. These one-run games, it's got to be exhausting for the team and for the broadcasters, I would think. Just going to worry about that. Incredibly. Oh, yes, yes. Please, please factor me into these uh, wild finishes and the grind that is and the duress. (laughs) So walk us us through the latest. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what would you see last night? It was a lot of fun. Um, You know what? What I walk away from that ball game thinking about is, a couple of things. I have to start first with the defense and the decision-making. And the Blue Jays and Bo Bichette, Lourdes Goriel Jr., and Matt Chapman turning in, uh, in the case of Bo, like two or three really good plays, you know, from the shortstop position and challenged on a couple of different plays in the shift. Vladdy with a number of digs on the receiving end, too. Uh, and, and this goes to show you just how far Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has come as a first baseman. You just expect the digs you expect the picks you expect vladdy to go into the splits and then you know roll out of it and be just fine after those squeamish starts in 2020 you were like oh no how's this guy gonna play first base <laughs> uh, he's he's saving errors at first base for bo bichette who's ever at second and, and matt chapman uh so i walk away looking at how crisp the defense was yesterday and the play that Lourdes Goriel Jr. turned in, uh, albeit the fault of the Chicago White Sox, with Mendick trying to tag from first and advance to second, Reese McGuire slow playing it, tagging at third, trying to come in and score the tying run, which it would have been the tying run. We would have been knotted up in that game at 6-6 if Reese McGuire just powers up instead of powers down, glances over his shoulder. Guriel doesn't take the playoff, makes a throw from his heels right. on the edge of the warning track and puts it right on the money. And Vigio with a great tag to get Mendick. I mean, that was just a terrible. I would not like to be around Tony LaRusso last night after the ball game because I'm sure he was chewing on nails at that play. And then uh, the biggest play of the ball game for me, late in that game, you had three decisions on a ground ball to third. Matt Chapman could have gone easily 5-4-3 to get a double play. He could have gone to his own base to get the force out with runners on at first and second. He could have ran over to third and then just thrown to first base. Instead, he goes over to third base, and he throws a seed to second base, and he keeps the tying run at first, where either of the two prior scenarios would have resulted in the tying run into scoring position. And then a bleeder, a dunk shot, whatever, could have tied the ball game a lot easier. And it's, it's a tremendous play. 
and it keeps the tying run over at first base. It makes the save a little bit a little bit easier. Um, and oh, by the way, Alejandro Kirk cranks two home runs. You get two couple couple of doubles from Teoscar Hernandez, and that lineup looks a lot deeper when you get production from guys that had been kind of quiet. Yeah, they were due to start producing with runners in scoring position. We knew that, and this winning streak has been exactly that since that second half of the split set in St. Louis. Like they're just. They're putting up numbers, and they're starting to make up for a lot of at-bats that weren't fruitful with runners on. Uh, I guess we, we expected that, but it's happened real quick for them. I, I like your point about the, the infield defense. Like Chapman comes in a gold glover. Bichette is, is a, a long way ahead from where he was a couple of years ago where you're like, geez, like, you know you got Simeon. You could move him right there. He's, he's probably better right now, but all the work there has paid off. Espinal is seamlessly moved to second. It makes a really nice scoop on that double play from Chapman you talked about. And then Vlad at first, we, two years ago, you're right. It was like, is, is he just a DH? Like, is there a position you could get league average play? Is he good enough that you could start talking about maybe this guy could win a gold glove in his career at first? Uh, that's a really good question. I pondered that. The Blue Jays have kicked that around. I don't know that. I don't know that he's there yet. Let me put it that way. And and I've kind of done a deeper dive, and I've evaluated some of the, the really good first basemen. Like Anthony Rizzo is a really good first baseman, you know, playing for the New York Yankees. Uh, I don't know that, that Vladdy can dethrone a couple of guys at first base, but you know what he gives the Blue Jays is a lot of versatility playing first base. They move him in positions. He, he's okay going to the backhand side. He's okay. Well, he's better – He's better ranging to the barehand side, you know, going towards the hole because he had that knack as a third baseman and he can go to the backhand and he can go over near the line and he works a lot at going near the line and making sure he's getting true reads on hops. The other thing that he does, and I asked him about this at the batting cage a couple of, uh, I think it was last home stand. I said, hey, did you play outfield when you were younger? And he said, yes. He wanted to mimic his father, right? So he naturally thought he was going to be an outfielder in his younger years because if you watch Vladimir Guerrero Jr. run through foul territory and he has turned in a number of over-the-shoulder catches, uh, over-extended you know, extended basket catches on the move, he looks like somebody that's comfortable moving like that, and that's a byproduct of his outfield playing days. You don't get a lot of that with first baseman right now, especially in the American League. And Vladdy, you know, Vladdy can give the Blue Jays that extra little thing to grab outs. And he's okay navigating around the screen. He's much more comfortable doing that, running to spots. And just, he looks better. He looks more natural as a first baseman. So, is a gold glove in his future? He's not there yet. But, you know, in two or three years, when he becomes a more just comfortable first baseman for the Toronto Blue Jays, and you never know what the body's going to change into. Let's remember, he's 23. He's still going to mature. And he can put in a lot more work as well with the physical strength and the flexibility and the mobility still to come in his, in his prime years that are still in front of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Uh, there's still a lot there that he can give the Blue Jays, not only offensively, but defensively. Ryan Barucki's time as a Blue Jay appears to be over. I was a little surprised that that for a Trent Thornton call-up. Uh, I, I know it's been a, a rough three, four years with injuries, but man, that's a pretty talented arm that they're going to say goodbye to here. Well, a lot has changed with Ryan Barucki in the last three years. Um, and it's not a one-for-one. One. It wasn't you know, Trent Thornton dethroning Ryan Barucki, but it was Ryan Barucki given as much runway this season specifically as the guy that's out of options. And they slow-played him at the beginning of the year with a little bit of hamstring tightness because he really wasn't throwing and locating his pitches that great in spring training, even in the games, let alone the backfields. Um, 
you know, I look at Ryan Brucky in his career, first as a starter where he was a fastball, curveball, changeup guy, mixing in a slider. And then they didn't like the peripheral stuff for Brucky to be a starter. So they said, all right, maybe he's got a little bit more in the tank, but they completely changed Ryan Brucky, who he was. Added the fastball velocity because he was going to be a one, maybe two-inning guy. Okay, now so now you go from 93, 94 to 96, 97. That's a good increase. But then the repertoire, you know, he, he leaned on the slider so much. He started to tinker with this cutter, and he lost the effectiveness in the strike zone. And a, a lot of it is on the player, right? you got to figure it out. And around the injuries, and a lot of it was because of slider usage, uh, especially on the arm and the shoulder, he just never could command the strike zone that he needed to. And there are a couple of guys that had a lot of pressure on him this year to perform. And Ryan Barucki was at the top of that list. And Julian Merriweather is another guy that's on that list too. And the Blue Jays are giving him every opportunity to see what they can do. And the, the secondary pitches with Merriweather play in a lot better than the fastball because the fastball command right now is not there. And that's the ball that's getting hit and hit hard for the Blue Jays. Um, so this is a bullpen that has some problems. It, it, it's one that was not complete. I mean, they, they pitched very, very well in April and kept the Blue Jays in an opportunity to be in games. But it's not a complete bullpen. They're a couple of pieces short, and they know that. And there's a lot of contactability that's still there. We saw that last night with Trevor Richards again. And that was a pretty quick hook for Charlie Montoya for a guy that he's leaned on in high-leverage situations. But that's how valuable – Every opportunity is right now for Toronto to lock up wins, and they've got to go after it. So they're trying to sew up some leaky spots in this bullpen, and and Ryan Barucki is a casualty of that. So what if you're building a, a list of uh, things for the general manager to get done ahead of the deadline, how high on the list is another high-leverage reliever, or would you have an outfielder there or a left-handed bat? Like We're starting to see this through you know, the first third of the season. What are your needs? Before the deadline, could you start building that list now? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, high leverage is right there. Get a power arm. Get a swing and miss guy into this bullpen. And that, that's priority number one. That goes ahead of a left-handed bat that would look great in the lineup. Uh, for me, you know, that goes I – think, I think the rotation still has some dust to settle around it. You know, Jose Barrios has had some flashes. Uh, he's breaking down mechanically, and they're tweaking some things with him. Um, surprisingly, he's the most inconsistent right now for the Blue Jays in that rotation. So, you know, there's not a big need to address in the rotation. Uh, if this offense continues to lengthen itself and you get Teoscar going, you get some consistent play uh, at the plate out of Lourdes Gurriel Jr., and you're, you're going to apparently see a lot, a lot of production from Alejandro Kirk and Danny Jansen. All of a sudden, you're feeling a lot better about one through nine rolling out there every night. And and the one thing that, again, the Blue Jays have to address, much like last year, is the bullpen. And I, I like last year as a blueprint, too, where they knew there were needs in that bullpen and they didn't wait until July rolled around. Remember, that they made moves in June last year to solidify the bullpen and get it in a better position going into the trade deadline to see where the Blue Jays were at that time. And because of that, and the acquisition of Adam Simber and Trevor Richards, because of that, the Blue Jays, you know, made moves early to put them in position to make a real big push going into the trade deadline. And I think June is going to be that kind of roadmap for the Blue Jays now, especially that they cleared some space. And they may, they may showcase some guys out of AAA to see what they've got and maybe solve those 
issues with a mat gauge. Um, he's probably a little bit higher on the priority list. He might have an out in the minor leagues, so you want to get him up here and, and see what he's got. But uh, there, there are definitely going to be some moves in the next couple of weeks, and I think the bullpen will change significantly. Second of three tonight against the White Sox. Thanks for your time, Ben. Always good hanging out. Yeah, likewise. Always great to chat. See ya. See ya. There he is. Play-by-play boys of the Blue Jays. Six in a row, no big deal. Two homers for our boy last night. Oh, we love our boy. How don't you? You got a nice little thing going on with him and Jansen, because Jansen's been hitting the cover off the ball since he came back from the I.L. You can play one of your catchers at D.H. It's not ideal if you run into an injury or whatever, but, I mean, to have two two catchers that can help you offensively and defensively, pretty good. Settling in. He's good on that low strike when he's receiving the ball as yeah. well. They say he gets more low strikes called than any other catcher. Like, he's quite a weapon for someone that, what, had never played above, like, single A or something hilarious before the pandemic. Say Oscar's hitting. Starting to. Guriel getting her going. Taking walks. It's gotten into him. I guess that's what happens. You So you start, your bats come alive. You start getting more offense and run support for your pitching and then you win games hmm so it's like runs is like whoever has the most of those at the end of the game they go in i i don't get, i don't know if i buy into all that Patty? is that an important stat runs i think it's probably a, a quite a vital stat in baseball okay there's no clock in the game it's i guess if you want to say it comes down to runs I'm not sunday here. was a big example of coming down to runs debate you <laughs> What's this? That, right? that was the one game where they decided whoever had the most runs would win the game. And they had 11, and the other guys had 10. So the Jays won it. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. So how did they? So they took all of the runs and just split them? No, there was 10 for the Angels and 11 for the Blue Jays. So because they had more, they said, you win the game. Oh. Mm-hmm. See, I wasn't watching. Should probably move on. I wasn't watching that yeah. one. George Richards coming up. What's happening in Florida? The Panteros. Everybody, it, it sucks when you're out. Yeah, there's every 16 team, teams that get in, and every team has their funeral, right? Every team sits there and thinks, well, I thought we'd do better. Really kind of hope for better. Whether you're out in round one or round two for the Florida Panthers, the best regular season, there was, there was a lot of bests, best evers for the Panthers. It was offense, it was standing, it was the whole thing. And, and they won a round. That was, so that was good, right? But they didn't win two rounds, and I think a lot of people – with the regular season that they had, thought they could win maybe three, perhaps four. But it was one and done. George Richards has covered the Panthers for a long time. We'll get yeah. his his sense as to what happened there. Aside from just running into a very good Tampa team, mm-hmm. their offense went it just went away. How much of that is Vasilevsky and Tampa and all of that? But was it three goals in four games? That's it. Not enough. And it was the highest scoring team in the history of the salary cap. This wasn't like a, well, you know, if they could find some offense, they'll be okay. The one thing Florida could count on all year was offense. They averaged more per game than they had in the entire series. So it's tough to look at your goaltending or defensive structure. The power play and the offense went away for four games and their season is over. So we'll talk to Georgie about that when we come back. Bob Stoffer, Oilers radio analyst. He was there for game one last round. 
He was there for game one this round. Similarities, differences, what's he seeing from the Oilers as they move into game two now, down 0-1. We'll ask him about bus rides to Bellington, too, because that's always – Well, if you want to ask him about that, I don't know. If, does he um, qualify for that? Travel with the team or no? Oilers were 6-0, and scoring first prior to last night. So they uh, – and it's just a, whatever you think of the Oilers, whether you hate them or whatever, you have to look at their ability – to score again, this you know more runs, the team with more runs. What is the di- what's the separation in score where the Oilers are like, no, we're ta- you know we're not going to get that back. Is it five? Is it six? Because it isn't four. Four, four is not enough. You should be nervous still at four. They'll chase you down if you're up by four if you're not careful. Yeah. Bob Stoffer, longtime Oiler uh, beat guy. When we come back, Sportsnet 960, the fan. Boomer in the Morning is on right now. Sportsnet 960, The Fan, Calgary. Hour 2 continues. Guests of the show join us on the hotline brought to you by Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar. For every dollar you spend, earn points towards free pizza. It's their rewards program. It's Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar, 6060 Memorial Drive, Northeast said yesterday it could be a pinball machine just bing bong bang bang lights flashing noises and it's exactly what we got it started five minutes in and it went right to the right to the very end the oilers the avalanche put on quite a show at the ball arena in denver last night our next guest he was there of course he was there it's bob stauffer oilers radio analyst oilers insider who joins us from Denver? Uh, have you? How are you doing, Bob? Are you? Have you survived? How's uh, Jack Michaels doing? Is he all right? Jack's fine. Jack's got a lot of <laughs> horsepower in that voice. Yeah. Um, I got to tell you, I mean, you know, the hockey gods giveth and the hockey gods taketh away. I mean, the Oilers got. I'm still stunned at the call in the uh, game five of the Flames series. That was a goal all day for me. We said it on our broadcast. The spirit of the rule is not to take a goal away in that situation. It doesn't mean that Calgary would have won that night. It meant that the Flames were in a position to win the game um, and likely head back to a game six. And, you know, I think the Flames had a heck of a team and the Oilers needed to get through that series as fast as they possibly could. Um, and then they take it away last night, like the call last night on the offside. I I, I love these guys. Well, if you look at section 83.3 point, you know, subsection two, I don't know. To me, it looked offside. Uh, and the problem is the Oilers challenge. They were 5-0 and in challenges this season before that. They got one of the best video coaches in the league. Their head coach is a former video coach himself. And uh, it cost them two goals. And the separation of the game was, you know, a goal with an empty netter. So it was a, a – I'd say Colorado played Edmonton. Edmonton probably got what they deserved last night. But what's the old saying from Unforgiven? Deserves got nothing to do with it. It's yeah. just how it works out. So it was one of those things. And I'm with you, because I, I watched it at first. It's, well, it's offside. Clearly, it's offside. And then the goal is the goal's good, and they start to cut through. And then you, a bunch of experts come in. Well, you, you can see, well, Makar doesn't have control of the puck, and you, that's why the linesman let it go. I don't buy any of it. I think how it, many times does that get blown down in the regular season, right? Just, and no one even blinks. It's like, oh, yeah. 100%. Like, like, and that's 100%. the thing. is like by the letter of the law, sure, but most times out of 100, that's blown dead. Well, possession to me was always nine tenths of the law, right? It certainly he looked to me like he was completely knowing what he was doing. The guy's a brilliant player, and that's an aspect Edmonton has to do a better job of managing. And they knew that going into the series. But 
there's just one of the frustrations, you know, and I, I'm in year 14 doing color. I know, you know, I've got a good memory and pretty good with analytics relative to my age and those sort of things. But I do get exasperated at times with the mealy mouth nature of, of how we call things in the National Hockey League. And I'll circle back to game five. Like, I, and I heard you guys' post-game show, and Pat did a great job as I drove back to Edmonton uh, after the game so I could make it back at Edmonton to do the show the next day. And, um, you know, I had a lot of empathy for the position Calgary was in there because this is how bad that call was. We thought, well, were they, are they looking if there was an offside of the blue line? We didn't even think that it was possible that they would contemplate calling a, like, I'm sorry, that wasn't a distinct kicking motion for me with Coleman. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm the Oilers brought I want Evan, like, I want the Battle of Alberta to be great. I want Edmonton and Calgary to have the two best teams in the Pacific Division. And I want Edmonton to beat Calgary. So I work for the Oilers Entertainment Group. I want Edmonton to win. But the spirit of the rule is not to call that, you know, pull that goal off the board on Coleman. And I'm sorry, last night, the spirit of the rule should be that that's offside in that sequence. And it costs the Oilers an additional power play goal to challenge, which, you know, they doubled down on it. They, they took their shot. Didn't work out. Again, they probably got what they deserved, guys, but it was uh, that was a very confusing sequence in the game, I thought. Were you getting game one Calgary vibes all over again, or did it feel different to you? Because I just kept thinking, like, this is happening all over again. I, I've been to this movie. Oh, that's fair. Absolutely. And Mike Smith, you know, unfortunately, you know, he had a, frankly, had a poor start against Colorado than he did. Well, I guess not since he got pulled on three right away, but uh, his, his first games are just like, he's got like a, like a 577 save percentage in his first games of a series as an Oilers net minor. You know, he was, he started the game against Chicago in the bubble, um, played pretty well in the game against Winnipeg, no fans, had a tough start against LA, had a, just a brutal start against the Flames. And, you know, the difference with what Colorado does, you guys watch the game. I mean, they, they have a – Jay Woodcroft said after the game, with all due respect to the Flames, the Avalanche are uh, a different animal. And that's because of what McCarr and Taze can do in that pairing on the back end. They played 26 minutes a game. They were going to be Canada's number one pairing in the Olympics. Um, Colorado's done a real good job building their team. Chris McFarland probably should be a general manager somewhere. He's the guy that – helped orchestrate the Duchesne return. Um, they focused on speed and skill. That's the advantage. Everton had a speed advantage, you know, in their lineup against the Flames. They don't have that against Colorado. Colorado can skate four lines deep. So, And McCarr jumping up in that sequence that led to that goal, that's going to be something Everton's going to have to have their heads on a swivel for is how much they activate their D in the back end. And that includes Taze and, for that matter, McCarr, uh, McCarr and, uh, and By- uh, Bowen Byram as well. Talk to me about Zach Hyman. We knew what he was as a Leaf, and then it felt like, like a lot of Oilers did last round, really kind of turned it on and, and kept his goal-scoring streak. Where, where did regular season Zach Hyman stack up compared to what we're seeing now? Because he's, he's right in the thick of it. Well, as you guys both know, and I'm sure your listeners do, you, the, the Flames were hit heavy on Zach Hyman as well. Mm-hmm. They were amongst the suitors, and they, and they ultimately got Blake Coleman. Uh, for me, for me, there was a th- the Oilers had a three game series in the Canadian division a year and a half ago, and Hyman was the best player. It wasn't McDavid, it wasn't Drysdale. It was the relentlessness on the puck. Uh, Brad Holland uh, was the team services guy at the Leafs before he got hired as you know when Ken came here as a GM. Brad, who's very progressive, he's got a lot of degree, and 
he's now on the pro scouting side and he's going to be taking on a little bit more responsibility. He was one of the guys that really pushed and the Oilers felt after they lost to Winnipeg that they lost, they lacked uh, net drive and, uh, you know, old school presence that we all grew up and watched, right? You, you have to have guys that have got the guts to take the puck hard to the hole. And that's what Hyman does. Fogel was supposed to do that. It hasn't come to fruition this year. And obviously Evander Kane's been a huge addition, but Hyman, uh, to be frank, I, I cannot express to you guys more. Just you know, other than the the Calgary trip and this trip, we've been I've been on every trip for fourteen years, uh, and he's just the energy level that he brings is just off the charts. He's uh, he's a terrific addition. He's positive, and and I believe you know I believe we're in a generation where people want positive reinforcement. They don't want negative energy around them, and that guy brings it, and it manifests in terms of how he plays on the ice. We've heard Jay Woodcroft now, and with with what, how the games went, the games one game ones of these series, that we scored X number of goals against their uh-huh. tandem or against their number one Six. in their building, yeah. right? It should be enough to win, and and I agree with them. I, I wonder at what point is there some frustration that can set in when you're scoring to the, at the clip that the Oilers can and have been, and obviously they cruised in five over Calgary. I, I, they don't want to do that again, I don't think, against the Avs. I, I give them credit for being resilient. Uh, but but I do wonder just at, at what point the frustration might set in, not just on the goaltending, but just on the amount of pucks that are going in their net and they're constantly having to chase things down. Yeah, my interpretation, Boomer, on that would be a little different. He sent in a message that the Oilers can get to the other goalie. That's that's why he said it against Markstrom, you know, is – Look, we scored six goals against their number one goaltender, you know, and, and he, he, don't forget also at Edmonton, he used the, you know, Mark Spector asked him, well, is, is Mike Smith getting fatigued here, nine straight start? And he spun it back and said, well, Mike only played 28 games in the regular season. He's just, he's, he's now in mid-season form. It's not like he started 63 games. And we all looked down and like, yep, oh yeah, Mark's, there, it Mark's from, there it is. Like he, so... I think the message he was sending is that the Oilers can get to Colorado's goaltending. Obviously, they have to do a much better job managing the puck. And it's been a part of their undoing in their losses. You know, like uh, L.A. played a patient game and sat back in a 1-3-1. The Flames didn't make a lot of adjustments, uh, and nor should they have needed to based on the season that they had. Uh, but they weren't quite the same team with Tanev, you know, not available for the first three games of the series. Uh, Calgary was more aggressive and wanted to play a more physically competitive style and a more assertive style than L.A. Colorado, again, different animal because of the speed, <laughs> which they realized, guys, after their 16-17 season. Like, that team was bad. I remember seeing McFarland in uh, Nashville, and he said, you know, Bob, you've been with some bad other teams. I was in Columbus. This this Colorado team, we're completely changing everything we do, and we're going to speed, 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 and it kills them. They have it throughout their lineup, but they're in their window. They got nine pending UFAs at the end of the season. Like they, this is their time, and uh, that's why it's going to be for me. It's going to be a challenge for Edmonton. Like I get why everybody had Colorado as a favorite. I get why a lot of people thought Calgary was going to beat Edmonton in the last round. Like you take a look at the regular season numbers, and it would suggest, and, and the fact that Calgary's got you know in theory a better goaltender, you'd say the advantage is there. Now, one of the things that's happened here: if Kemper can't go. You know, we'll see. We'll see whether or not, you know, Mike Smith can bounce back. He certainly has the personality to bounce back. But Colorado's ability to counter-strike and capitalize off 
neutral zone giveaways and poor puck management. Uh, that's that's part of that's what you're referring to. That's part of what Edmonton has to clean up here if they they, they want to make this uh, a long series. And uh, they can still win it, but they got to do a way better job protecting and managing the puck. What did you make of Kemper's departure and then the late arrival for period two? It was all kind of odd. And I don't know that we really have much clarity at all in the situation. I think you nailed it. Like, he's an odd guy to me. Like, I remember seeing him play down. Uh, were you in right there when he was there? Or you, you'd you already moved on. Boom, yeah, I, I'd moved on, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, um, I just think that um, – He's an odd. He's an odd. Like, and your listeners are probably aware. Edmonton was in on him too. Like, the Oilers offered a first-round pick in Samarukov, and uh, you know Arizona took a first-round pick in Connor Timmins from Colorado, and that's because Alan Heppel, who was the head scout for Colorado, ended up going to Arizona. So he he knew Timmins better. They so the the Oilers the Oilers had a deal to offload Koskinen, and they were going to go with uh, Kemper and Smith. So yet another storyline where. Mike Smith's playing against a guy that was ultimately supposed to be his replacement. The problem with Kemper, you guys know the story with him. He just he's he's had weird injuries at odd times. And I I, I thought it was a possible Fogel hit him with the way he reacted on the Fogel shot and then the you know the the tap in from a cloud. I wondered if he got hit up high on that shot. Then I wondered whether or not he was sick. Like I I couldn't figure out what you know was he dehydrated? I don't know. Like and, and he didn't really give us a clear. Uh, a clear message after the game, other than to suggest that he's, you know, confident in their backup goalie with Francois. And so he should be. I mean, the guy had decent numbers this year. Uh, the one thing that I was surprised with, with the, with the battle of Alberta, there, there was a, the, the flames had a very difficult time after I want to say like the first period of game two of pressuring the Oilers defense or being able to get any sort of, you know, cycle, ozone time, wearing down the Oilers. Like, you saw spurts of it, I guess, in four and five a little bit, but that was sort of their calling card all year. And you've noted Colorado's speed. Uh, this is going to be a much more difficult series for the Oilers' defense, safe to say. 100%. Absolutely. And the other thing is, I mean, when you dump pucks in on Mike Smith, the best thing that he does is play the puck. I realize he, he spits one up every once in a while, but he's literally like a third defenseman back there, and he eases the workload on, you know, when Calgary's game was going against Edmonton this year in some of the games, the Oilers D were meat on sticks, right? Like they were getting, don't forget the first, the nine, five game, that was a Koskinen start and they were chipping pucks. Um, and, you know, Koskinen couldn't get there to, to help give options for the defense. And they were just getting pounded and Calgary's got a big, heavy team, but Colorado skates better. The Oilers had more speed and skill throughout their, you know, I, Carol talking after the game and McDavid was brilliant in the series, but Drysdale had 17 points on one leg. That's crazy. Evander Kane, Evander Kane had a game where he was the best player. Hyman might add, put it this way, Leon had 17 points in five games, and he was only selected a star in one of the five games because the Oilers had other guys step up. And so I thought, you know, the best four forwards in the series were from Edmonton. You know, Backlund was Calgary's best forward, and he wasn't as productive as McDavid, Drysdale, Kane, or Hyman in the series. So, a strong two-way performance from Backlund, who you know has been a very good player against Edmonton, but kind of you know him and Nugent Hopkins and Backlund did a better job in the circle. But there's kind of a soft there, so I was surprised that Daryl said it was one player because to me it was more than one player. But Colorado, again, different. They're way deeper with high-end forwards, and that's going to be a and that's going to be a challenge. It also speaks to the fact that Calgary's top line was quiet in that series. Kachuk, obviously, Goodrow, and. Uh, Lindholm, what a trade, by the way, for the Flames, getting Lindholm and Hannafin. That was, you look at what the Flames do in the margins. 
And that's part of the reason why they're as competitive as they are. The Oilers have been gifted some things along the way. Calgary's had to do it a little bit differently, and people should remember that. As frustrated, I don't think this is going to be the last battle of Alberta guys we see, and I think it's awesome for the province. And again, I got no problem if Edmonton and Calgary have the two best teams in the Pacific Division. I think that'd be great, and I'd love to see them play two or three more battles of Alberta over the next three or four years. I kind of get that sense, too. And, and let's remember, you know, Vegas is loaded and everything went wrong this year. Uh, it wouldn't be crazy for Vegas to win the division. You could see a round one battle of Alberta. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I, I think we're in a, one of those sort of spots where you saw Boston, Boston, uh, Toronto a few times. You've seen Tampa, Florida now two years in a row. This is why they went to this format. It's not the most fair with 1v8 and all that, but you get regional rivalries, which is what this is all about. Calgary have places an emphasis when when you're you guys know this like you're you're working every day like you know i'm on the air doing a two-hour show every day and doing the games and traveling and in every rink in the league and talking to scouts and assistant gms mostly that's who scouts a lot of these days the flames grind for every inch they the, the organization places emphasis on competitiveness look at how good your team was down in stockton this year right like that's you know they, they beat they, they, yeah, they beat Bakersfield, right? And, and Bakersfield had a decent team. They, Stuart Skinner's a good goaltending prospect for Edmonton. Wolf was better, you know, in that playoff series. And so Calgary, Calgary's done a real good job building. And I know there's some, they got four key decisions, and I'm sure you guys have discussed them ad nauseum. But my expectation, I don't think the Oilers are going anywhere, and I don't think the Flames are going anywhere. And I'm going to bet more on the long term on Edmonton and Calgary than I would on Vegas. Like, I think Vegas is getting a little, they're getting older. Um, and I think there's an energy around that team that isn't great. And I, if, if I'm a Flames fan or an Oilers fan, I'm liking where the two clubs are headed. Bobby, I mean, it would be ridiculous to come on and say, boy, how about Leon Dreisaitl, really, you know, the guy's won a scoring title. He's He had 55 goals. We, we're well aware of how of the greatness that is Leon Dreisaitl. But you saw it last night. It's another multi-point game, a two-assist game. And the two assists, the toe-drag move on McCarr to set up McDavid for the no-doubter, and then the play to find Nugent Hopkins, his... It's his passing that kind of blows me away. His ability to do it on the backhand, on the forehand, coming out of their zone, rarely is anybody having to kick it up to their stick. It's on the tape. And I know going back to the draft, I remember being at the draft and you talking about it. This guy may be one of the best backhanded passer that, that anyone's seen in junior hockey. He really is an unbelievable playmaker. And guy, it's 55 goals. We don't talk enough about his assists. Yeah, you know, it's funny because Corey Cluston coached him, and I did Corey's games at the U of A in 1989, okay? Uh, he, he was a big part of the team, and uh, he scored a hat-trick at the, actually four goals, the 92 Nationals. And I asked Corey, he was coaching, they had a guy named Dakota Conroy. And I said, oh, Dakota will be a good Golden Bear player. He scored 30 as a 19-year-old. And he goes, stop, how much do you weigh right now? I'm like, come on, man. You know, I'm like, I don't know, 240. He goes, trust me, you could score 30 goals right now playing right wing with Leon Dreisett. That's how many looks this guy creates. And he actually said to me, he's going to be way better than people think because he's committed. I mean, he went to Prince Albert. You know, like you're a European player. You can pretty much, the agency can kind of place you in certain spots. And he went to PA to go play there. Um, I don't think anybody thought he'd be a 50 goal scorer. I did think he'd be a you know 50 plus assist guy, and he is every bit the one at one B to McDavid's one A. And Flames fans saw, and here's a, and you guys know fully well, bad high ankle sprain. Like there's other guys that would not be able to play through what he played through, 
and he's nowhere near. He got hurt again last night. He left, uh, uh, went off the ice early on a shift. He got clattered into in the boards, and you could tell he was hurting. And he's he is a tough. He's he's an old school tough player that's got unbelievable vision. The Oilers didn't win one lottery when they got McDavid. They won. People say Stafford. They won four, but they wanted in back to back years. Like they when when Buffalo passed because they took five Europeans with uh, five first round picks in the three previous years, and Tim Murray passed on dry settle and took Sam Reinhardt. That was a great day for the Oilers organization because they hit the home run with this guy, and then they get McDavid the next year, and through osmosis. Drysaddle has continuously improved because of you know McDavid's relentless desire to be the best player in the game. And I watched his post game last night. He's less pissy. He's a very thoughtful guy. I didn't realize. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's fu- he's he's a funny dude. But if you get to know him, like he uh, he he went the Mike Myers route. They they did the uh, full availability with like you know the GM, the coach, and the four best players on the team to open the series up. And he decided to hop on the golf cart. And he almost drove me over. So. He told me, he said, stop, if I hit you, I thought that we might get knocked off the golf cart. So we didn't want to, we didn't, but he was like, it was literally right out of Mike Byers. Like he's I'm like, what are you doing? Like it was, yeah. it, he's just a fun, he's got a, he's got a, he's a very dry sense of humor. Um, German. He, he doesn't, doesn't always get frustrated. He gets frustrated once in a while, but he's a pretty funny guy. So is there any way, if I was to ask you what you're expecting for game two, what would you say? Yeah, they got to manage the puck better. Um, they can't trade chances as much. They're not going to get calls. Colorado for five straight years is at the most power plays in the league. And that's because they can skate. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and when you're moving and you have the puck, you draw more calls. So they got to do a better job of managing that. The biggest thing they got to do is manage the puck and they got to, you know, they got to get a save. I mean, Koskinen actually gave him a couple saves yep. all day. They're coming back with Mike Smith. He'll be starting that game. They got to get some stops. And they, they got, the other thing is if they get the lead, they got to play for the lead for a while. And uh, we saw that in game five against Calgary. They went up 3-2 in the Hyman goal, and then boom, boom, the Flames, you know, got two in, like, I don't know what it was, eight seconds or whatever. And that, unfortunately, has been part of the Oilers' undoing so far in the playoffs. But, you know, it's been an exciting run. It was an awesome – you know, I didn't think anything could beat Edmonton and Calgary other than, you know, the series not – that was not a five – Edmonton were the better team, but it was not a five-game series. Um and against Colorado, the orders are just simply going to have to be far better than they were against Calgary because Colorado's got a, a different uh, a different set of skills and a different degree of depth with, with more speed that's harder to harness and rein in if you're the Oilers. Good to talk to you again, Bobby. Been a long time. Appreciate you. Enjoy game hey. two and the rest of the series. Thanks, guys. You take care. You See bet. you later. Bob Stoffer, Oilers radio analyst, 630 Ched. Been doing it a long time and has, has seen a lot. Used As, to watch him bark at Nicholas Sharon Arena in Lethbridge. Yeah, man. Doing Golden Bears games. They won a lot of games. Still do. I said it earlier. How are you, if you watched any part of game one, even if, you, if, even if you're Corey Sarich and you can't stand watching this type of play, even Wayne Gretzky. Did you hear Gretzky last night in the intermission? Here was Wayne talking about the need to maybe tighten things up. I wish I could have played this kind of playoff hockey in my day. I mean, teams are just two-on-ones, three-on-twos all over the ice, breakaways, breakdowns. Listen, I was the most offensive player maybe ever lived. you got to play defense, man. That's how you win Stanley Cups. Like a 7-3, and like, where are you trying to go to make a four-on-two? Like, I, I just really believe deep down you, to win a Stanley Cup, you got to play better defense. So even if you 
I think we could probably all subscribe to that. Yeah, if you want to win, you got to play better defense. So goals against a six isn't going to win you the cup. But if you don't, you. but if you don't care about that sort of thing and you don't have a rooting interest necessarily, you're just you want to watch hockey for the entertainment value. How are you not tuning in for two? Chef kiss, beautiful. Come on. I just want to see if the hook's out. Something. The Mike Smith hook. He was, How he long wasn't is, good to start game two in Calgary. One more would have been it, right? Felt like it. I mean, it really would have been a the litmus test on where Woodcroft is on him because he's been their guy, but he's also supernova bad when he's bad. Question. Hmm. What's going through Brad Treliving's mind as he sits and watches game one last night? That's the team we lost to. That's that's the for Colorado. That's the level we need to get to. Or I can't believe that the Avs gave up six. It's game one and, all over again for the and Flames. Kemper, That's and what... Kemper is out. If we could have found a way. I, I just wonder wonder what goes through through your mind. I don't know that it means anything because you routed the Oilers in game one. and it didn't. What did that mean for the series? They won the next four. But you ultimately will, will want to you, you stack yourself up against what happens next. And wh- where would you fall in in that level of competition? I just wondered: is it, does it make it more painful? Is it just more of the same? I, I yeah, I, I I'm sure he's watching, but I I think most of his mental energy is like, how do I get these guys signed? What I'm gonna well, fair, bend uh, into so a then pretzel what a, cowboy? I honestly fan, I think then, it is whoever. A, yeah, okay. Right? I, I think it's a one-off. Like I don't think it tells you anything because you beat the tar out of the Oilers in Game One and blew leads and won nine six. That was eight six. I don't think it tells you anything about how you stack up because Game One didn't tell us anything about that series. No, it didn't. The only thing it told you was no lead was safe, and we already knew that with Edmonton. And it just went, it it just went back and forth. When Kane scores that opener, you're thinking oh, maybe this isn't just, maybe this team does have something a little bit special. This Kane signing has been brilliant to this point. It's 13 now, and then a bit of a breakdown. Smitty's on his stomach, pucks in in the sh- top shelf, and it's in the back of the net. Oh, maybe, yeah. So they're going to get to Mike Smith. That's that's going to happen again. Then McKinnon walks around Nurse. Like, oh, this could this be. a whole new ballgame for the Oilers, D. Then Hyman ties it. Oh, so a big goal from Zach Hyman. That's, again, that's not stunning. Good year one in Edmonton. Game two coming up on uh, whatever the day after today is. Um, tomorrow. Tomorrow. Tonight, Rangers, Lightning, game one. The Florida Panthers. It's the Marty St. Louis Bowl. That's what it is Uh, tonight. Surprised you didn't know that. He doesn't want to leave. What will the Florida Panthers, what will Bill Zito be thinking as he watches game one tonight? His team got swept in round two by the Tampa Bay Lightning after winning the President's Trophy. George Richards, longtime guy covering the Panthers in Florida and down in Miami, will join us when we come back. What's the offseason? And what's just the, what's the temperature? How's the mood? in Miami about the Florida Panthers. Coming up, Sportsnet 960, The Fan.